So back to the book. Back to the book. They have arrived at the airport and are apparently getting onto a completely automated plane. Mm-hmm. He didn't say it was a Tesla, but maybe it is. I'd say at this point in the future, we're beyond any one particular company because there are other companies that are working on automated automobiles. And planes, save for landing and taking off, are for the most part automated. If somebody came with an automated plane tomorrow, would you go on it? Maybe not tomorrow, but after a few crashes and a few adjustments, yeah, probably eventually. Okay. I'm not sure I'd be ready for that. <laughs> Although I suppose an automated pilot well, can't get drunk. We are, we do get into the equivalent of flying buildings. I mean, arguing whether or not a human is actually in control of flying the building, we are getting into buildings and going to 10,000 feet and they are landing. So <laughs> it's an amazing accomplishment in and of itself. So to argue whether or not a pilot or whether or not it's automated and controls just kind of a slight degree of technology difference as to whether or not you would trust living or dying in it. <laughs> that makes sense? Yeah. So anyway, they're on the plane, and they never in their life would have been able to do this. So they spend some time enjoying the view outside the window because it is something that is particularly special for them. And then we get into H telling Parzival her life story, which is an interesting story, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I think that's one of those situations where it accentuates prejudice and preferential treatment in that day and age. Because you, you think the technology is so advanced, but it seems like several steps back in society have occurred to allow this story to unfold. So we find out that her real name is Helen Harris, hence H. Love that. And it's alliterative. So she is actually just like Wade. She's a superhero. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't actually think about that, and it was probably mentioned, but yeah, that's cool. Okay. And, of course, we get into the fact that her mother had suggested maybe you ought to be a white dude for being online because that's what I did, and that worked for me. That's what you need to do to survive in the Oasis, apparently, even in this day in 2045. Right, right. But then we get into, like, where the nickname H came from, which is adorable. Helen H. It's nice. Yeah, well, you know, kind of wraps it up pretty well. And, and you know, they had played the guessing game before. You know, of what H stood for. Yeah. Name wise. Do you ever wonder if Parzival ever joked around and saying, oh, maybe your name's Helen. Ha ha ha. Helga. Yeah. Humphrey. <laughs> Humphrey. <laughs> it's interesting because they could guess about that. They could joke about that. But she knows he's totally way off or will always be way off. Yeah. Like it's, you could, something you could safely joke about because you'd never guess it. Yeah. But you would think that even like, adolescent humor to like really kind of dig at somebody would be to say kind of like, oh, you throw like a girl. Well, why don't I just sit, suggest that your name is, is a girl's name? Right. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. Then it would be one of those one of those moments where it's like, oh, a little too close to home. Yeah. Let's, veer, let's veer off of that. But, but could you imagine if, if one day he's actually like, you know, they're in the basement, they're playing joust and he's really kind of ribbing it to H and just being like, oh, come on. Come on, Helen. How come you couldn't beat me at joust? Then you get that weird kind of like corner of your eye look at an H being like, huh, what'd you say? That would be super shitty to write in because what that would insinuate is that, and I don't know if you've ever seen Scrubs. Have you ever seen the television show Scrubs? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, you have? All right. So Dr. Cox calls the main character, um, JD, yeah. by female names, any random yeah, yeah, female yeah. name. What he's really doing is 
he's emasculating him. Of course, yeah. He's doing it on purpose to say you're less of a man by calling you a yeah, woman. And by the way, he's the best character in that whole show, Dr. Cox. What, Dr. Cox? He's awesome. I actually created a website called drcoxsays.com once upon a time, like several years ago. And I made it so that you could go in and hit a button and get random quotes from him from the show. That's awesome. That was fantastic. Doesn't exist anymore, does it? No, but it took hours to make. I had to go through and actually cut out audio bits from all of the television shows where he said shit. It was spectacular. Anyhow, uh, but he, he's emasculating him. He's, he's saying you're less of a man be, because I'm calling you a female or I'm recognizing that you're less of a man. So how shitty would this book be if Parzival tried to make H look like, quote unquote, less of a man by calling him by a female name and then coming to find out that he's female? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how shitty would that be? I would be a less nervous H. I'd be like, hey, remember that time you called me Helga? Yeah, Dick, I am a female and a better man than you. <laughs> Yikes. I know, right? I'll be a lot less nervous. <laughs> It'd be a much quieter ride. <laughs> it is interesting that H's mother apparently had some deep-seated prejudices of her own, and that even in a day and age where apparently there's enough prejudices out there that you need to portray yourself as something completely different online just to survive, mm -hmm. that somebody would still have other deep-seated prejudices. And again, this is 25 years from now, but still a dystopian future. Right. Yeah, you'd think. It's interesting commentary on society. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 the commentary is that society has taken many steps back while society in a virtual realm has taken many steps forward. That prejudice in VR can't really exist. I shouldn't say can't, but it's difficult because there's such a variety of avatars that people can choose from. Uh, so everyone is going to appear dramatically different. And when everyone is dramatically different, no one's different. But that in reality, it's much more survival based. To paint the backstory here, when her mom finds out that she's gay, she gets kicked out and she's homeless. That's right. And like Parzival, also also homeless and in, ends up literally having to kind of build his life from the ground up. So they have that very much in common without having known it. And maybe, maybe that's the reason why H liked Parzival is here's another person who lost his parents in some way and ended up having to kind of pick himself up by the bootstraps. And that where he excels greatly may not be in playing video games and, and, and being popular and, and making money that way, but that he has his own way of excelling and picking himself up out of the gutter. They don't actually mention that in the book. They're both rocky. Yeah, and only without Parzival really knowing that that's the case with H. Because he does question, you know, I don't know why H picked me to hang out. Yeah, this was something that's been talked about before. How did these two characters find each other? H being this right. big name in the Oasis and... and Parzival being a nobody. Yeah, and Parzival being a nobody. And why did he get invited to the social club, if you will, of the of the Oasis, which is the basement is H's basement? You know, how did how did he get chosen? to? It's a Cinderella story. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, they both have that common that common background. It's just one of them didn't know it. Yeah. All right. So back to the book. So eventually the plane lands safely, safely, safely. And they get a view of Og's private landing strip. And they're amazed by the scenery because apparently Og is so rich and powerful that he can just recreate Rivendell 
in the middle of Oregon. You know, here's something I missed in the book. He has a private landing strip. Yeah. Well, I mean, you say that. I just thought they're basically saying he's got his own airport. I would imagine that it's not that dissimilar than, say, having like a helicopter landing pad. If you have the space for it, why not? Yeah, and I guess. My why guess not? is it's probably better suited for like the little, those little planes for because he seems to be in a remote area. Prop planes? Yeah, prop planes. I get you. Yeah, okay. I could, I mean, yeah, it's just I thought it was interesting he has his own landing strip. You know, probably not some little, you know. He recreated the waterfalls of Rivendell. Yeah, I think it could fit a landing strip somewhere in there. I don't remember seeing one in the movie. If you can reproduce the waterfalls from Rivendell, a landing strip, that's nothing. <laughs> in fact, you know what? I think the landing strip is fucking easy. I want a strip of concrete this long and this wide on that piece of land. Can you do it? Yes. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough. I just, I'd missed over that part where he had a landing strip. <laughs> and I was just thinking he had a mansion, right? Nope. He's got a landing strip and waterfalls and shit. But anyhow. Does it end at his front door? <laughs> no. That would be dangerous. That would be weird. Because if there was any yeah. ice on there. Yeah, that, that would be. That wouldn't end well. So he greets them. Welcome, my friends. And I love this, in fuzzy slippers and a bathrobe. Yeah, that's pretty cool. This is, again, one of the reasons why I just love Og as a character. He just seems to be like that super cool uncle or the really fun grandfather figure. He kind of reminds me of Jeff Bridges in The Big Lebowski. Right, right. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. Holy shit. Yes, that's perfectly right. I know. Fucking that's, that's, Okay, all right, all right. I'm definitely more on board with the Jeff Bridges, particularly with the bathrobe and, and the fuzzy slippers. Y you have a landing strip on your property. Yeah, it really ties the place together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. All right, all right. Fair enough. Okay. So he meets them out <laughs> with his fuzzy slippers. And and he does the introductions. Yeah. And uh, uh, I like the fact that, that he says, I recognize your voice. And he gives her a wink when he's talking to H. Yeah. I, I feel like if it were anyone else, that might seem a little creepy because he has admitted to eavesdropping on them and the whole question of what else does he know? What else can he get access to? And to say, I recognize your voice. It just kind of had that, that no holds barred acceptance. We're, we're going to we're at the moment we're going to take we're just going to close our eyes and, and accept the fact that Og's a good guy. Og's a good guy in this situation. Yeah. And granted, even in the book, Og isn't of the oasis like he's not a part of that company anymore he might he might still have godlike powers but he still doesn't run that company and it's an interesting point that once he left the company he was still able to keep those powers well you know friends with benefits Ooh. and those were the benefits those were the those were the benefits but no i get that i get that but here's an interesting thing that maybe can help me figure out where i might be going wrong on this so when he turns over to Wade, he says, and you must be Wade. I mean, Parzival. How does he know that's his name? See, here's the thing, and I didn't think about this until just now, which is that Og is really expressing to every character, I know who you are. Without even saying many words, he's saying, I know who you are. So Parzival has said what his real name is to two people, mm -hmm. Artemis and Shoto. Right. I think this is an indication of the depth in which Og has been eavesdropping. Right. Or maybe even researching for that matter. If he's following the rules, mm -hmm. he can't find out what their real name is. Why not? 
because the only people that would know what the true name of an avatar is would be the principals at the schools if you're going to the public school system. Well, okay, that's true. But he does have, and you're right, he does have sort of godlike access. So he can access all that information anyhow. His ability to to see what's going on, he could even have access to that information in the schools. Maybe. Because the schools are online. They're yeah. in the Oasis. So, you know, he might not necessarily have to bribe anyone to go and figure out that information out. But, you know, I didn't really think about it till now. But you're right. What he's really doing here is he's saying, I know more about you than you think I do. And I'm going to give you a hint. Goes right to Helen. And introduces himself, and he's like, oh, I recognize your voice, wink. And you're like, no, you fucking didn't. You know who I am. You were able to get more information than IOI. And then he goes over to, wait, oop, I mean, Parzival, wink. But how the fuck did you know my name? He's really communicating them in a matter-of-fact sort of way that he knows all about them. Way more than IOI could discern. Or it's just that Parzival, the avatar, looks so much like Wade in real life that he knew for sure that that had to be Parzival, therefore this has to be H. Maybe, but he's making a very specific point with very little information presented in the moment to say to each of them, I know exactly who you are. Yeah, it, I think that... And he does that by seeing her and saying, you're H, and by seeing him and saying, you're Wade. Oops, I mean Parzival. Yeah. Didn't have to say it that way. I think it's truly a case of... It's only creepy if you decide it's, it has to be creepy. Well, I think it was intentionally, actually. Now that, now that you've argued that point, I agree with you. I think it's intentionally written that way. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. Yeah. I, I don't know that it's creepy per se, but I think he is very well communicating. I know more about the two of you than nearly anyone else is going to know, that I have a way of knowing. I mean, he's been eavesdropping on them for over a year. Well, it's probably more than that. It's that omnipotence. He is basically the god of the oasis, right? We've said this a few times. He's flexing his omnipotence. He's being show-offy by saying, I know who you are. I know your real identities, right? And like, he's always known. So he didn't, it wasn't a hesitation where he's like, let me guess. He says, ah, you must be H. And then, and then, oh, I, I recognize your voice. Yeah, that's the reason. Gives her a wink. And honestly, like, I wouldn't be sitting here wondering about the potential level of creepiness of it if we weren't sitting here trying to dissect the book. It totally passed me. Yeah. yeah. It, it was just more like, oh, here is this really amiable guy, this kind of, what'd you call him before? A technological, the technology Santa? <laughs> technology Santa. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you're just kind of like, oh, that's cool. He's He's, he's an awesome guy. You know, he's somebody you you'd have a beer with or, you know, go smoke some cigars with or something like right. that. He's a nice guy. He's a genuine character. It it really was only by trying to figure out like, well, what's the meaning behind every fucking line of this book that you start to wonder about the deeper digging stuff. But anyway. I think there's this continued flex by Og. Like every time Og's mentioned, he's he's always really kind. But he always flexes his omnipotence and his power. Wouldn't you? <laughs> when it was at his birthday, he, the IOI peeps came in, they shot the place up, and only when IOI really started to flex their threateningness, like people fucking died in that the dance club that day, right? People zeroed out or 
whatever. Yeah, precisely. And then he was like, all right, I've had enough of that shit. Zap, and they're all gone. He could have done that in the first moment, but he waited. See, that's kind of like when he decided to intervene with uh, saving the surviving members of the High Five. Right, right. I, I think what it is is that there's this level of omnipotence and power that he flexes to kind of impress. It's kind of like Dr. Manhattan. I never saw that. Wait. No, th- uh, this is Watchmen. Oh. Uh, so th- th- there's that scene in... A reference in the movie or the comic book? It- it's the same thing. Well, this scene was basically the same. But when they're in Vietnam and... Yeah, I get it. And he shoots the chick and he's like, why did you do that? And he's like, you knew I was going to do it. You could have stopped me. Yeah. Why did you exactly. let me do it? Yeah, I get you. I-, I knew you were going there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I hated that fucking movie. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I totally get what you're saying. So, yeah, he finds the opportunities, these small opportunities to flex his omnipotence and godlike powers. And this is just a moment where he's doing that. Yeah. Meanwhile, H and Parzival are just like, thank you, thank you, thank you. They're like practically on their knees thanking him. And he's just like, stop it. Stop it. I don't know. You know what? I- I didn't take it that way. I read it a little bit differently. So he says, uh, uh, let's see. He says, you've already thanked me enough, so stop it. With an exclamation point. But I could see that being like in fun. You've already thanked me enough. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Oh, stop it. Come on. Please stop it. See, these are where the director <laughs> has such an impact on the way a movie can be or lines delivered in a movie can. Would it be the director or the actor that makes the impact? I guess it'd be mm, both. Probably the director. Yeah. You could interpret that in a number of different ways. Right, right. And part of the thing that's in, informing my interpretation is, of course, Will Wheaton's portrayal of that, which was semi-aggressive. You've already thanked me enough, so stop it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. I can see why you took it that way. See, exactly. Okay, so they ask, where's everyone else? Obviously, Parzival is going to ask about Artemis. He's a real one-trick pony, huh? Well, it's, well, not only that, but it's but here's another example of where Og flexes his omnipotence because he loudly laughs like he's expecting uh, it, uh, like uh, he knows ho, what's ho, going ho. on. Ho, ho, ho. You like that little girl, don't you? <laughs> I knew that. My elves told me that. Little girl? Well, you know, when you're techno Santa, everyone's sure, a little girl. That's true. But yeah, I kind of had that. Oh, oh, I know what you're getting at, son. You know, someone's it, horny. Oh well. Oh god. <laughs> My elf on the shelf told me you had a thing for that little girl. No. <laughs> I, I'm. Are you there? I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> I'm just picture. I didn't realize elf on a shelf was also like a, a nanny cam. <laughs> Spy for your fly. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyhow, right. So. He obviously asks, but brings them into the house and and offers them his wide array of Habesha chairs, really hamster ballrooms. That would be a very interesting rig setup because I don't know. I'm just picturing even a very large sphere. It would have to be really large to really get the simulation of flat ground, wouldn't it? Um... If you were standing in a in a sphere. Right. There's very little area that would actually be perceived as flat to you, depending on how big the sphere was. Right. So this is supposed to basically be like a tread, you know, like an omnidirectional treadmill. So Mm -hmm. it would need to be a really fucking big sphere unless there was some type of 
platform at the bottom of it that moved. This, uh, like, but he described it as the sphere is the treadmill. Right. Where you could run in any direction and the ball that you're in would move with you. Yeah. So if you're running on flat ground, but your feet are perceiving it as a slightly curved sphere, that mm-hmm. might be a little disorienting. I'm trying to f- figure out exactly how that works. No, I don't think it would require a gargantuous sphere. Uh, believe it, because the only space you're really concerned about is, you know, three by three feet. Sure. And that can be slightly curved and still be perceived as flat. But on top of that, think about this. It's, the sphere has to move. So your, your running has to move this large shell, if you will. And that's going to be pretty heavy first off, right? So you would need to have some ability to grip. But second, if you're going to move the ball that you're in, easier to push down than to slide back. Yeah. And then there's inertia, which is a problem. Yeah. So it, my thinking here is simply that the technology covers it. <laughs> there, there have been rigs where you had a slightly curved bottom that you were in. Thus, the motion caused your feet to slide down towards the bottom. So there wasn't a grip. It was just a slide. And, and thus, you weren't actually moving something. You were merely sliding down and, and you were held in place by not a chair per se. This in the book, it says chair. But in this situation, it was a waist brace, if you will, that mm. you could lean against. You know, those booties that you put on for protecting a home that you go into with your shoes or whatnot, but they're kind of slipped like they don't. It's like walking on a like a putting paper bags around your feet yeah, and trying yeah. to walk across tile. Your shit's going to slip everywhere. So it was kind of, imagine something like that where your feet slip. But in that sense, you wouldn't need to be in a big hamster ball, would you? That wouldn't make any sense. Have you seen Thank You for Smoking? I have. So you you know that part where they're talking about putting uh, smoking in a spaceship? Here we go. I know exactly where you're going. So cigarettes in space. It's the final frontier, Nick. But wouldn't they blow up in an all-oxygen environment? Probably. But it's an easy fix. One line of dialogue. Thank God we invented the, you know, whatever device. Yes, that's this. <laughs> that is this. Thank God yeah. they created that whatever. That thing that fixes that problem. And then you move on. <laughs> so I like the fact that the, the room is round because maybe it's it's the, really the most efficient space of that space when you think about it. I'm trying to think how that would work acoustically. I don't know, but maybe not necessarily. You wouldn't. You, you only need so much space if you have the rooms. If you stack them together, that would be an efficient use of space. Like a square is not an efficient use of space, believe it or not, because you don't use the corners. I'm just thinking if you're in the center of this thing and you're speaking that, well, you wouldn't want to record a podcast in there, I don't think. Mm, No. Because everything's going to reflect back eventually. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But he's not reporting podcasts in there. He's getting ready to battle the Sixers. But before we even get there. Mm-hmm. Did anything stick out to you? A little bit. There are certain things about this that stuck out to me, if not the first time, then certainly the 30th time I, I read it. Right. So he, he goes into describing how he's been alone because you know, they take the walk and there's a little bit of dialogue between Parzival and Og. And Parzival or Og goes into the fact that he hasn't talked to Jim in a really long time, except for like, a, I guess, on his deathbed, if you will, but for 10 years at least. And that he really hasn't had any guests to his house, short of the servants that work at the house. Oh, that was so awkward. Since his wife died. Oh, that's and, uh, so Except for my awkward. cook and my servant, and, and the, but they live here, so they're not really guests. 
Uh, I'm so rich. It's, t- Anyhow, it's tough to um, be Og. <laughs> but uh, there are how many rooms with Habishaw chairs in them? Uh, I think seven. Seven? There are seven rooms where only one room is ever really used. So maybe it's, I don't know, like... Might be a little dusty in rooms two through seven. <laughs> well, that or maybe the people that live there that are like his cook and, and whatnot, maybe they're allowed to use those. I have no idea. But if you're going to have like the highest in shit, you'd have the highest in shit recently installed into seven rooms. So that means like every six months to a year, he's getting rigs that might not have been used. Swapped out for new ones. New shit getting installed, right? Or did he install these special for them? (laughs) I don't know. I just had this build last week. I was really happy you guys accepted to come up. Um, Thank God these aren't going to waste. (laughs) Right. I've got room number one. Two and three are you used. You can choose from the other four, right? Uh, (laughs) It's like I really anticipated having five and myself and maybe one other, but IOI kind of screwed that up yeah they sort of threw that out the window bummer literally yeah but yeah okay so two you know seven brand new rigs where one makes sense and yeah interesting so that that kind of i thought that was kind of odd but then again the dude has a landing pad granted for his own travel i suppose and he recreated a cgi movie set in the middle of the mountains yeah yeah, there's that. Which is pretty fucking cool. But I could see doing that for himself. It's like every morning I take a stroll through the garden. I look at my beautiful Rivendell waterfalls. And then I get in my plane and I fly to go get a cup of coffee. <laughs> and then I thank God that I was such a geek that I got to meet James Halliday. Did you say that there were seven rigs? I think so. Okay. All right. All right. You coming up so with some type he- of seven correlation here? One for every day. Oh. It's Tuesday. You know where he'll be. Ah, uh, bay number two. <laughs> I've got I've got seven Habishaw rigs, one for each day of the week. I don't like to wear out my technology too hard. You only have six rigs. <laughs> I like to take a day off. Remember, I'm God. The seventh day is the Sabbath. <laughs> okay, so I could. While the book didn't hit it, and while it seems awfully strange, he's got seven incredibly expensive rooms with rigs that are all brand new. But I mean, this is like how families technology. stay together. You know, they all get into their rig and they go interact with other people. No, this is how rich people live. <laughs> all right. Think about this, though. This is no different than a family getting together and all staring at their fucking phones. I was thinking more along the lines of this is no different than somebody who has a lot of money that has 20 cars in a giant garage. And never drives them. Or drives them one, one at a time. Fuck that person. You know, I've, I've got my Tuesday is my Lamborghini day. <laughs> Tough life. <laughs> all right. All right. Moving beyond that. What did you notice beyond the seven rigs that you that struck you as odd? I kind of thought more about what it must have been like for Parzival to be two bays away from Artemis, this object of his affection that he's just been pining over for months you know, a year, years for, I mean, he's been cyber stalking her for a long time and she's right over there behind that door. And nope, hold on. Not yet. You have to wait. You got to go do this big thing first. And just to think about that, the internal turmoil, the torture of that. And then he's got to get himself in the game and deal with this struggle 
first. Mm-hmm. And that just had to have been such mental hula hooping. Well, what was what were they going to do in advance of that? I don't know. I mean, like, it was the smart move to not do a meeting beforehand. You know, it made me think about times where this is now a new year. This is January 2019. And many people try to reinvent themselves, whether it's going to the gym or dieting or whatever. So, like, it, it reminded me of, like, if you're on... Uh, let's say you go to like a gluten-free diet or you're going to be a vegetarian for whatever. And then to mm. have somebody sitting next to you at the restaurant, either eating that slice of pizza or having that steak and just being like, oh, I want that thing, but I can't have it. It's right there, but I can't have it. Did you just compare Artie to a piece of steak? All right, I'll cut that out. <laughs> I know it wasn't intentional. You don't have to cut that out. I, I understand what you're saying. The temptation will be distracting. You could flip that around and say that the temptation is motivating because he has a great motivation to get the next couple hours right so that he can be free of that baggage to then be able to talk to her. But he doesn't have to do it right. It just has to be over. Because remember, at one point in the book, he says that he didn't care about the contest. Right when they were breaking up, he's like, right, right. I don't care about the stupid egg or whatever he said. So. Okay, fine, but do you think she's going to want to see him or is going to give him a very warm reception if he doesn't, you know? I would imagine at that point there'd be a kick in the balls in order. Yeah. At yeah. least. Oh, yeah. So, you know, if he wants to make that first moment matter, he's got to get this other shit settled. Well, yeah, I mean, it might help to win the contest. I mean, she was. Yeah. I mean, if I was in his position, I'd get it. But then I would be kind of like, all right. I got to focus it because well, yeah. how much time would you have? Like an hour to say hi and hobnob and have some hors d'oeuvres and then back into the VR. Your brain would be like totally buggered. It was the smart play. And right. it's just an, this is an example of Parzival just kind of focusing on what's important. It was like right after I'm thinking on Arcade where he gets distracted by the fact that mm-hmm. H had just gotten the Jade key. And was like, nope, nope, focus on this, finish this, you're so close. Right. And how they'd gone months without finding any clues because he was more focused on her than anything else. So, no, 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 that that makes sense. And quite frankly, if I was Parcival, I'd be like, yeah, good idea. He probably should have said, you know what, as much as I want to meet her right now, let's get focused on this shit. Right. So he's still got a little bit of that immaturity of, say, a teenage kid who's hormonal. I would say, and while the book didn't focus on it, that Artie probably was in the same kind of position. Like, I don't want to be distracted by the fact that I think this guy I really like is going to think I'm ugly. And she has to be on her top game, too, because she's already expressed. Look, I don't look like my avatar. We already know she has a birthmark that she's really sensitive about, that she's received rejection before. So to have that shit on her mind or to even be concerned about it before going into battle, mm -mm, not good. So. What did you think of that last exchange between Og and Parzival, where he asked this question that he's been asked a thousand times, and he actually answers Parzival? What did you think about that? What was the question again? I wanted to ask what it was that ended your friendship with Halliday. In all the research I've done, I've never been able to find out what happened. And then he tells him that it was all because of Kira. Right, right. I honestly didn't put much thought into it. I thought it was a good backstory point. I thought that it was obvious by this point. I want to think that the first time I read through this, that I kind of already, that I kind of already knew that. That's the thing is that 
it's so hard for me to try to remember what I thought about something the first time I read it because I've just I've read this so many times and I really wish I could remember if I thought deeply about this part enough to think about what it might have meant or is this just giving us a little bit more backstory but what stuck out to me was at the end of this point where he's talking about how special Kira was and it was impossible not to fall in love with her and then Og says you know what it's like to meet someone like that, huh? Don't you? Yeah, again, flexing his uh, omnipotence. Well, but the thing is, you're talking about comparing Og's relationship, marriage, and then the loss of his wife to Parzival's quote-unquote relationship with Artemis. And I'm sorry, they are not the same. Well, all he's saying is, you know what it's like to find somebody special. That's it. Now, ended up being very special, special enough to marry, etc. But, you know, he's just, you know what it's like to find somebody special. He's finding a point of commonality. I, I just thought it was interesting for him to have equated the two. Eh, I, I think on a very surface level, it is equatable. I think, you know, on a, you know, obviously when you compare the two things, it's one does not equal the other. But for him to say, you know what, this person was special and you know what it's like to find a special person. Yeah. All right. That, that was it. You know, what happened after that? Totally not comparable. I get it. But but to say, you know what it's like to find somebody special, you know, wink, wink. I know you have a like for Artie. OK, I suppose if it's just kind of like that initial like uh, love struck moment where it's like you think you found somebody that is going to be this most special person in your life. And clearly Parzival thinks that of Artemis. So fine, I will give him that. <laughs> OK, I think it was another moment for the author to flex his omnipotence. I think that's the reason why this part of the book didn't really strike me very hard because it was kind of like, yeah, here's some backstory. He was jealous and then he couldn't talk to me anymore because he was so jealous. It's kind of like, oh, okay, moving on. <laughs> I kind of like how the movie dealt with this, which was that in the end, there was this realization that not only did they like this, love the same woman, but that ultimately Halliday had sacrificed his relationship with Og, which is something he deeply regretted. Not only that, but integrated that into the finding of the Jade Key. Yeah. Like, if you know me well enough, then you'll know enough of my backstory to know that we have this in common, that we've got this thing. And I liked how the movie brought that out more than the book. Well, the movie also had Halliday having dated her once. Yeah. yeah. Which, to me, didn't seem right. Well, I think it was, I think it was more direct and short to the point than, you know, I pined for this girl while we all played D&D. Over at Og's house when we were teenagers, you know, if you say I went on a date with this person, then you're kind of like, oh, there was a potential. You, you make some assumptions there that paint the picture, whereas here it was more subtle. It's just hard to picture James Halliday, either the book portrayal or the movie portrayal, actually going out on a date. Yeah, well, I thought <laughs> like, I think you have to be a very uh, you have to be a very special person to want to go out with somebody that eccentric. I agree. That's one of the reasons why I thought the movie did a good job of painting that because it, it was communicated as being awkward. And then you understand in a kind of in a way why potentially Og would have picked her, would have gravitated towards her potentially more. There's a lot of assumptions there. All I can say is, is that I think the movie did a good job of painting why that was awkward and then why he at the very end regrets losing his friendship and business partner in Og. Whereas in the book, it was just this two paragraph thing of, 
Well, he was jealous. And I get it. And that's why we didn't talk. End of story. Anyhow. Anyhow, moving forward. (laughs) So Og wishes him good luck Mm -hmm. and says, I'm going to sit back and watch this. This is going to be epic. Again. Again. It's just flexing his omnipotence and power. I shall sit up in the sky above this and watch as the battle unfolds. This will be epic. I'm going to get some popcorn. So it it is right around here where we get to actually get a little bit of a peek into Og's immersion bay. Parzival notices that his Oasis console is a modified console to look like a vintage Commodore 64. So my question to you is if you were going to have an Oasis console look like anything, what Mm -hmm. would it be? And it better not be a TI-82. Oh, uh, if I was going to have an Oasis console look like anything? Yeah, like he has a Commodore 64 looking one. You know, what would you, like, what would you have it be a console? Would it be something completely different? Like, what would you, if you were going to get a custom Oasis console built, what would you have it look like? It would look like my left testicle, and then I would have it implanted. In solid adamantium. Uh, I'll be honest with you. If I could have my console actually implanted into my body, I would do that. Aren't you worried about like EMFs and shit? Not really. Dude, dude. All right, look. We are surrounded by monitors and phones that are constantly putting out variety of frequency of energy. You know, so you figure we're fucked already, so why not just put it right inside? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of functionality. So, so then let's just say that your testicle-sized console isn't going to be <laughs> nearly as awesome as something that might sit on a desk. In the same way that, for a long time, laptops weren't quite as powerful as their desktop companions. Mm. And, you ha- and you want the top-of-the-line console. That's sitting on your desk or in your hamster ball. What is your uh, console? Top of the line. Because keep in mind, all the peripheral shit, the headset, uh, let's see your monitor and mouse. Uh, all of that stuff is periphery. It's their peripherals you plug into the device or that it connects to the device. The device is going to be wireless at this point and it's going to be incredibly small. And based on the book, we can definitely say that the console itself can be implanted as, you know, an additional testicle. You know, pulling it out is a problem if you, you know, get picked up by IOI, but it can be that small is what I'm getting at. So the if console... you have a fake testicle, pulling out is not really necessary. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to step, was good. I'm going to step right past it. So <laughs> the console itself doesn't have to be powerful. And the reason why is because you're connecting, it, it stores your personal info, possibly some biometric data for confirmation that you are who you are, but all the peripheral shit connects to it wirelessly. It's powered wirelessly. I think we can draw that conclusion, or at least maybe it generates power from body heat, maybe. I don't know, but let's let's go off you of know, what we know so far. You are totally ruining the fun of this question. <laughs> and you don't have to upgrade it because you're connecting to a cloud interface and all of the processing power and all of the memory you need doesn't have to be in the device. So the console is really just an interface piece for both your peripheral devices and connecting with the Oasis and the shit that's in it. I regret having asked you this question. (laughs) So what could it be? It could be my wallet. It could be a credit card. It could be my left testicle. 
what would I want it to be? I would want it to be something that I wouldn't have to think about. Maybe my ten, my, it could be my tennis shoe. If you, okay, think about the rich guy with all the different fucking cars in his garage that are basically just trophies. You want to build a trophy right. Oasis console. What the fuck would it be? And don't say your left testicle. <laughs> I've said that too many times today. It would be a bobblehead. It would be a caricature of, you know, a bobblehead of, of Og, but it would be a bobblehead uh, winking statue, a little bobblehead statue where the head kind of bobbles back and forth, right? It would be an, an Og bobblehead, maybe a Halliday bobblehead. And then when I got to go, I'd stick the, the bobblehead statue in my pocket. But otherwise, I would set it on the table, little bobblehead would bobble, and my shit would connect to it, and I would surf the Oasis. Oh. There you go. James Halliday bobblehead. Okay. That would be my connecting device. Is that what you were looking for? Not really, but <laughs> we're just going to move on. Well, what would you put it in? I don't know. I mean, my first gaming console was the was a Nintendo. Oh, you wanted it to be in a, a console. Okay, okay. I'm like, well, that that's an idea. You know, like, maybe it could be a Nintendo console because that was basically my first console. And Okay. I know my house had an Atari at one point, but that was before I could do anything with it. So I don't have that nostalgic connection to it. I get you. It probably would not want to be my iPhone because, well, who cares? But I don't know. I mean, like the Commodore 64 is kind of a neat idea. I'll be honest with you. An iPhone isn't bad because that would be nostalgic come 25 years from now. Sure. And you could just change out the hardware if you needed to upgrade it. So it would be a nostalgic piece. The other thing you could do is just have it look like an everyday object. Like maybe it's a box of tissues. So that way no one's stealing your rig. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I agree. That's why I was, you know, bobblehead. I don't know. Those things could be collectibles. <laughs> Actually, people aren't collecting shit. So, oh, they're collecting ones and zeros that look like shit. Well, I mean, you saw the inside of, or at least the description of uh, Wade's van, which had a ton of collected shit in yeah. it. So people might. People might. Only. They might be more like antique artifacts that are more difficult to get a hold of. Okay. All right. All right. So a box of tissue paper for you. Yeah, of course. James Halliday bobblehead for me. We are cool. <laughs> so anyway. How does that work? Like somebody's like, I need to sneeze. <laughs> Don't get it from the box of <laughs> tissues. The minute you pull that out, my shit reboots. Yeah, fuck that shit. And I lose 10 terabytes of data. That's <laughs> every tissue. You mean 10 zettabytes? <laughs> eh, well, you know. T terabytes. There's a lot of, you know, the, the, the box is full of zettabytes okay. worth of tissues. So anyway, <laughs> now that Parzival has decided to stop talking to Og, or we're done with Og for now. Right. So the visor scans his retinas and he speaks his new passphrase, Reindeer Flotilla SeaTech Astronomy. Mm -hmm. He gets suited, logged in, and ready to battle. Now, hold on a second. SeaTech Astronomy, where does that come from? SeaTech Astronomy, that's sneakers, right? Right. And it's, uh, if you move the letters around, it spells out no more secrets. No, too many secrets. Was it too many secrets? Too many secrets. You're right. Too many secrets. Yep. And do you know what Reindeer Flotilla is? I don't know Reindeer Flotilla. Well, I didn't either, but internet says it was Tron. Really? Was that like a password for Tron or something? It's uh, Kevin Flynn's password. Really? Reindeer Flotilla. Fascinating. All right. I... I've missed that. I knew the SeaTech astronomy, but it's been years since I've seen since I've seen sneakers. I got to rewatch both of those. Actually, I'll re I'll rewatch Tron with you. Uh, sneakers, I remember well enough that I remember being relatively disappointed. I remember getting in somewhere in the middle of sneakers. I never watched it from the beginning, so that might be an interesting thing. 
Yeah, it was it was pretty cool, and it had Dan Aykroyd in it. It had a number of really decent peeps in it. Yeah, and um, and we'll do both of those at some point. So that basically ties up the chapter pretty well. This was a very heavy chapter. There was a, yeah, there was. I mean, for a transportation chapter, absolutely. Like other chapters, just just like I got on the bus and it sucked. Yeah, or they threw me in the van and it sucked. This was the most exciting A to B chapter in the book. Yes, it was. A lot uncovered, a lot of reveals, a couple bomb drops. Yeah, pretty nice. Shall we put our tinfoil hats on for a little bit? Hold on. Let me get my tinfoil. All right, let's go. Okay. Uh, so we already talked about the reindeer flotilla, SeaTech astronomy. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I tried to find something on Habeshaw rigs. I couldn't find shit. Did you find anything? I could not. I, you know what? I could not find anything on the word Habeshaw and... And here's why the fuck that matters, because that is such a unique word that I find I have a hard time believing based on the rest of the book that this name was just pulled out of a fucking hat. Yeah. And it's it's used in two books. It's used in it's the name of somebody in in the next book that he writes. My best theory is that it has to be that he had a friend named Havishaw or a teacher or some like there's somebody with that name in Ernest Klein's life. There has to be. So that's the challenge. To any of you Gunters who want to make our day, we'll mention your name on the podcast. Where do you think he got the name Habishaw from? Let us know on Facebook. Or if your name is Habishaw. <laughs> and you're related. <laughs> send us a copy of your license, your social security number, and we, we will... And your bank account. And your bank accounts, and <laughs> we'll take care of that shit. I know a prince <laughs> that needs to move some gold. So if your name's Habishaw, send us your creds and we'll get you hooked up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what's the, uh, what is our next tinfoil tackle? Our next tinfoil tackle. So the one that uh, I would say I was most interested in kind of discovering, Ogs Rivendell is surrounded by the silhouettes of the Wallawa Mountains on all sides. Do you know what passes by the Wallawa Mountains? Um, Willily Wonka? No. The Oregon Trail. Oh, all right. Interesting. Okay. No, because I'd never heard of of the Wallawa Wallawa Mountains. (laughs) (laughs) Oregon Trail, motherfucker. Okay. All right. All right. That's pretty cool. Is it actually mentioned in the Oregon Oregon Trail? I don't know if it's mentioned in the game, but... The trail runs right by this mountain range. And that's that's fine. I just I think it would be an interesting reference to the game if the game referenced it. Or maybe it's a nice segue into the fact of, oh, by the way, there was a, a really popular game called Oregon Trail. And thus the Wallawa Mountains run by it. Maybe there's a spike in the instances of dysentery in near this mountain range. Uh, hard to say. But I will definitely, I will definitely rate that in a from on a scale of one to ten. That's a solid eight for uh, probably related. I think it would be pretty cool if, if as far as tinfoil hat theories go, that's a solid eight in my book. I like that. He could have picked anywhere. Yeah, that's true. Anywhere, but it runs right by the Oregon Trail, or the Oregon Trail runs right by it. I thought that was pretty cool. That's pretty freaking cool. Yes, I agree. I can see the connection. And I'm willing to bet that that's probably the connection. Or he just fucking threw a dart on a map. Could be. I don't know. So anyway, that was the one that I kind of enjoyed 
kind of discovering by accident. But I found, I think, a couple other things that were interesting. So unless you have any, I'll continue. No, no, I don't. Continue on. So Og tells H and Parsville to get suited and booted, right? Mm-hmm. At first glance, it's like, okay, get suited and booted. Get Put your suits on. Get locked and loaded. Yeah, get... <laughs> get your suits on right. and boot up and get into the Oasis. I was like, yep. okay, that seems yeah, rather yeah. whatever. But then I looked it up and suited and booted is a British colloquialism to mean get dressed smart. Then I was thinking about it some more. I'm like, hmm, a British colloquialism. Why would Og be saying something like that? But then I remembered that Kira was a British exchange student. Oh, so you think like that would have been a term that she might have used that rubbed off on him. Maybe. And has this sort of cross-cultural reference. or Yeah. I get it. I get it. So it's kind of like the same term. Suit, that's, all right, man. I, it's, it's a bit of a jump. I'm going to put that at a seven. But I like that, though. Like suited and booted all of a sudden has a cross-cultural reference. Yeah. From its, 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 its use British side to use technology side i like that i like that thank you that's that is actually i'm gonna i'm gonna bump that up to an eight as well that's pretty fucking good i don't even care if you meant to do that on purpose that's that's pretty solid right there man what's a nine or a ten uh i don't know i don't know what's a nine or a ten uh remember when we did that episode and we were talking about uh that pizza place in in ohio and then we tracked down the house that the address (laughs) relates to and then we tracked down the ownership of the house to a Klein. <laughs> <laughs> I think that qualifies maybe as a nine, with 10 being a bar that might be impossible to reach. 10 would be verifying it by going to the house and knocking on the door and seeing Ernest Klein open it. Yeah, yeah, that might be, yes, yes. 10 might be highly, highly complicated and confirmed, but then it's not a conspiracy theory. Well, and this is not necessarily conspiracy theories, but... I, is it? I guess it is. Well, you know, tinfoil hat, buddy. Sure. So, yeah, going there and opening the door and Ernest Klein's like, yo, what's up? He answers the door in his in his uh, smoking jacket and fuzzy slippers. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. All right. So did you find anything else out in this? Did, you, did anything strike you else in this chapter? Uh, is there anything that we're going to be doing a, uh, a Patreon episode on? Because you've already mentioned a couple movies that I would be interested in. Yeah. And doing a review on. I think those would be the the two contenders for movies to do a bonus episode on. The only other thing I started to look into was any meaning behind the name Og or Ogden. And there's a little bit of stuff, I guess. uh, Biblically speaking, Og was a king or I think, or a giant of some sort. Okay. Which was, uh, I thought, an interesting parallel, or could be an interesting parallel to the fact that Og is a giant in the Oasis, the kind of like the last of the gods of the Oasis. Are are you thinking the 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 one-eyed giant that that decides to what what which giant That's are you a, thinking of? Uh according to Wikipedia, there was a King Og of Bashan who was mm-hmm. the last survivor of the giant Rephates. Anyway, it was a a biblical character apparently, but uh Oh, okay. I thought you were making like a an Iliad and the Odyssey reference. No, 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 no. This it's is a different different name, okay. But yeah, he, no, Og was an Amorite king of Bashan who along with his army, was slain by Moses and his men at the Battle of Edre. And he was like, oh my God, this sucks. Am I right? <laughs> that was horrible. 
Yeah. You can anyway, we're going to cut that out because that doesn't mean shit. So, <laughs> okay. No, I, I get what you're saying. So that was all I had. So we've got other movies here, though, man. Lord of the Rings. That's true. We do have yeah. Lord of the Rings, but that's... We, can, we can narrow it down to specifically the one that focuses on Rivendell. But that's a long fucking movie. Yeah, but I think it'd be a little bit more fun to either watch Tron or Sneakers. Because, I agree. Because they were, well, for one, they're 80s movies. We could watch both, and then we could debate which one's the better movie. We have a hard time trying to get one movie watched yeah, for an I episode. Agree. So we'll figure that out. Okay. I think we've done a good job on this chapter. Okay, let's wrap it up then. All right, sir. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we'll catch you in the next episode. See ya. One that I would say I was most interested in kind of discovering was Og's Rivendell, he said, was basically surrounded by the the Wallawa, the, mm-hmm. the Wallawa Mountains. I'm sorry. One more time. <laughs> it's a real t- tongue twister. So the Wallawa? The Og's Rivendell is surrounded by the silhouettes of the Wallawa Mountains. Ooh. On all sides. That really woes off your tongue. It it really woes off my tongue. Uh, and so I was like, okay, well, why the Wallawa Mountains? <laughs> <laughs> the Wallawa Mountains. Why the Wallawa Mountains? <laughs> Go on. Why the Wallawa Mountains? So I started That's so to... That's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the thing at the end of the episode is how to yeah. pronounce Wallawa. Wallawa.